This is Voices of CX podcast. Join us as we continue our deep dive into customer value, the driving force behind every successful business. We're making the world a better place by helping companies deliver true customer value, one episode at a time. Hello, and welcome back. We're on season 10 of Voices of CX podcast. Today, I am joined by A. Lee Judge, who is a podcaster himself, which makes this an extra fun episode, but I'm not going to speak for him. Lee, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us what you do. Tell us what you're passionate about. Share with our audience why they should listen today, why they should go all the way from beginning to end and and what they're going to learn truly from our conversation. Wow. Well, thank you for having me, first of all. Um, we can cover a lot of things today, as we had mentioned earlier, um, but a bit about my background, and I'll guide you wherever you want to go in the conversation. Uh, my background is kind of kind of varied. Um, I have a background in audio video production, I have a background in marketing, and a background in customer experience. So all those things kind of come together to define what I do. Um, I've worked as both a marketing operations person in tech firms doing, you know, your Salesforce and your marketing automation platforms and Pardot and Marketo, all those things. Um, but also I have a very creative side. I've always wanted to create things, whether it be audio or video. And so when digital marketing became a thing, that's when those worlds of mine were able to collide. Um, and when that happened, I was a, a director of marketing at a, at a tech firm and I launched Content Monster because as a director of marketing, I needed content. And sometimes what I requested from agencies wasn't quite enough because they didn't understand the marketing aspect or the ROI aspect of it. And so I created content for the company that I worked for and other companies asked me to do the same. So that was the launch of Content Monster. And so Content Monster creates business content from a uh, business standpoint. Most of our clients are B2B. Uh, but it's from a marketing standpoint, rather, uh, because we understand what marketers need. And so we produce podcasts and video and just marketing content to help businesses move forward. So I'm able to be, you know, fulfilled at building a business, creating content and still being in marketing and business at the same time. It's marketing for marketers, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're very, um, you're a very active uh face on my timeline. And I think that if you're active for me, then a lot of our get, our listeners have probably seen you as well. How is it that you show up so often? I know that's part of your business, so it gives you a chance to share some of your secrets. When you produce content, is there something that you have in mind about that content being evergreen? Do you have a focus on trying to show up in front of as many people as possible? What is your ultimate goal when you create a piece of content? Well, the ultimate goal is to bring value. Now, of course, the value as a business person, we hope that it leads back to business, of course, but that's the first goal because we know if we bring value, it will lead back to business. Um, you ask, how am I always present? I guess, you know, I can't um, determine what the algorithm is going to do, but mm -hmm. I do know that if I'm creating content, basically, you know, like the the business or tech firms say, eat your own dog food. I mean, mm. we practice what we preach. And so, you know, while I'm preaching to my clients, you need to create more content. You need to be always available. So when your clients or your potential clients are interested in what you are selling or what you're teaching, that you're the one there to show them. Um, 
you know, they're going to research whatever they're looking to buy. And someone needs to be the voice of the industry. So, you know, I encourage any company, no matter what industry they're in now, because of technology, because where we are with, um, with digital media, any company could decide to be the media company of their industry. And so that's what we work towards. We work to create content so that marketers who are looking to learn and grow in their fields and also learn and grow in what they need to do to, to perform and whether it be software or just marketing practices, we want to help educate those marketers. Um, and at some point they may need some content and then they'll know that we're there for them. So when you create content, what is, what is your ultimate goal in mind? How much of your background, let's say in, in customer experience and all the work that you've done in that field, how much of that is actually top of mind when you begin creating content and what is your ultimate goal? Well, the ultimate goal is always to bring value to whoever's watching or listening. Um, that's where it starts. I mean, you could say the ultimate goal is to, you know, drive traffic or attention or brand or, or business, but none of that happens without bringing some kind of value in the first place. So we place that at the very top is to provide value. Um, just like any company should, you know, should be a media company for their industry. You have to educate, you have to provide value. Um, and so you ask, how does my experience, my past experience in customer, in the customer experience industry, um, how does that affect it? Well, first of all, by being in the industry for about eight years, um, I learned things about customer centricity. Basically, it doesn't matter how good our service or our product is. What does it do to the customer? How does it make them feel? How does it make their life easier? They only care about what's in it for them. Mm -hmm. And so no matter how good our service is, we have to think about, okay, does this matter? Um, we've worked with companies. In fact, we had recently a... Um, a software company that we left because they kept adding on features that we never wanted. And I don't think even the industry wanted their features, but they, when they asked us not to leave, their first thing was, but wait, we have this new feature. I'm like, I'll never use that feature. So <laughs> what, where's the customer in this aspect? Right. And I think they're losing share to other competitors who just simply do what the customers want, whether it's a cool new feature or not. And so I think, a lot of that was affected by me working for companies that were product centered where, you know, sometimes the product marketing kind of took over the marketing yeah. and product marketing is about, Hey, feature, feature, feature. And they, they're the first, I think, to lose sight of the customer. Um, so for us, we're more of a service based company, but at the same time, that still means that we think about the customer first and what do they really want? And that really drives how we create content as well. Yeah. And it's interesting for you because you're creating content for other marketing departments, for other marketers. So I guess it's it's easier with your background to have some empathy for their goals and for their needs, which is something that not a lot of podcasters out there have. And let me dig into this a little bit. Marketers in recent times have needed to become more metrics oriented, more goal oriented, more lead oriented. Because for a really long time, there was a lot of creative license for marketers to trial and error their way through their company's strategy or through their marketing strategy. 
And with everything that's going on in the world and budgets drying up and resources becoming a lot more scarce, we have found that unless our marketing efforts and initiatives are somehow providing true value to the organization as well as to the customer, then it's going to get cut. So we've had to become a lot more selective of where we put our resources, where we put our energy. And there is less tolerance for trial and error. So on your side, what you're helping us deliver is a product that can do that, that doesn't have a learning curve, that already has all of your past experience and and all of the goals predefined to, and that sets us like three steps ahead, I would say, when when, when we're trying to create something that's valuable, because it's hard. And I've been doing this podcast for 10 seasons, and every single season we change our focus, every season. Every season we go back to the drawing board and we think, what are people what do people need right now? What are people talking about right now? What is the topic of the moment that that people need more knowledge on? Because I don't want to be one more voice talking about the same things that everyone else is. I want to be ahead. Because if I'm ahead, that's when I'm providing value. It's it's scarce, it's it's rare, so it catches people's attention. But to do that, I have to be a part of the market. I have to live and breathe it every day. And I have to know what those pains are. Is, is, does this sound familiar to you? That's exactly familiar. I mean, that that's the exact reason why I started Content Monster, because I wanted to be that agency that I couldn't find, which was mm-hmm. basically someone who understood marketing, so who understood that I don't just want to create something pretty and put it out there in the world. It has to make business sense. You know, I have to explain to my uppers, why should we do this? What's the ROI on this? And I think sometimes it's kind of counterproductive to to when we're selling because part of what our main feature is, as you mentioned before, is my experience in the industry, yeah. in customer experience and as a marketing operations person. I take that experience, but when I talk to a client, um, you know, I'm I'm very transparent. If they say, hey, we want ABC, and I know from being in their shoes that that's not the best thing for them, I'll attempt to explain to them maybe a better way. Or Mm -hmm. I may say, maybe we're not a good fit because I want you to be successful. And if I do what you tell me to do in this case and you're not successful, it makes us look bad. So when I'm talking to clients and they say, let's take podcasting, for example, they say, oh, we want to do a podcast. And I say, great, you know, let's talk about your strategy. What's your plan? What are your goals? And they say, oh, we just want to do two episodes. I'm like, well, okay, you said you had a goal for listenership or to grow audience. Two episodes is audio content. You know, it's like an audio long blog. It's something you'll do once or twice, put it out there. And not that you shouldn't do it, but the strategy is different. We'll treat it like a long, like a white paper or like a blog article. And we'll say, okay, you're only going to do one or two. Let's call it audio content, not a podcast. Let's work on generating as much content from that content to drive traffic back to your website for that one piece of content. You should remove anything like subscriptions or excessive downloads from your KPIs because you're not going to have it with two episodes. You're going to have a good piece of content that creates content. And <laughs> the, the, the approach is totally different. It can be successful, but it's different. And so, you know, as you mentioned before, it, yeah, my background, I won't say it gets in the way. 
but I use it as a tool to say, look, I've been in your shoes. I've been the marketer who has to prove your value. And podcasting is an interesting beast. It's, it's still kind of new. It's, it's difficult to prove value sometimes if your KPIs are wrong. Um, it's content marketing and it's, it's the long game and it's not transactional. So if you expect to put a podcast out and get Joe Rogan numbers and the sales start rolling in, that's not how it works. Yeah. I, I will say that I have been guilty of a lot of those mistakes, which is first of all, expecting, um, conversions when I didn't have a conversion strategy in place, um, expecting, uh, subscribers when I didn't have the right channel to capture them, or I didn't have a nurture campaign set up in the background to be able to do so. Um, there, there have been so many things that along this road, I have found extremely challenging to defend really when it comes to the budget that I need and the resources that I need. So even though we do this in-house, there is still a cost and that cost is especially related to the man hours that it takes to producing podcasts. And, and you know this really well. And when I have, I, I would say five Five people that I know that have con uh, podcasts up and running have told me that they started podcasting because of this show. And they said, I listened to this show. It provided me with so much value and I want to do the same. And when they ask if I feel they should do a podcast, I, I struggle with the answer as well. Because in my case, this is a vendor podcast. And my job here is to provide my listeners with a value. Exactly like you said, it's provide them with value so that they know that when I speak, I'm coming from a place where value is the most important thing. And I'm not interested in coming on here and pitching to them, but that does not mean that I can't convert them somehow. It yes. all depends on, on how I strategize and how I reuse that content, how I recycle that content. But yeah. here's the thing that I want to ask you, and here's the most important thing. I was going to save this for the end, but we might as well ask it now. What would you say or what do you say uh, when someone says, I want to start a podcast, should I? Today, 2022, I want to start a podcast. Yeah. What, do you, what do you say? I would say, let me look at your, your marketing strategy. Let's either create one for you. Let's look at your website. Let's look at your team. Let's look at how you plan to utilize the podcast. I just yesterday thought about from now on, I'm going to say, you know, a podcast is like a car. It can be beautifully sitting in your driveway, but it gets you nowhere unless you drive it somewhere. Right. I mean, you can have a Lamborghini. It'd be beautiful in your driveway. People can drive by and say, hey, that's a nice Lamborghini. But in terms of getting you somewhere, you have to actually get in and drive it. So with a podcast, um, you know, I've seen clients who say who come to us, and say, hey, we want to do a podcast. And I say, well, let's talk about your strategy. Do you have resources to also make sure it's on your website? Make sure you have lead generation forms on your website. I give examples of how I've done lead generation through podcast and, you know, it's been through, you know, we put trackable links in the podcast notes. We do landing pages that leave from the podcast. We do micro content on LinkedIn and YouTube and Instagram that talks about the podcast and that content would not exist had it not been for the podcast and that micro content that comes from the podcast drives traffic to the website 
which can generate leads. My business does it all the time. I get new newsletter signups. I get product inquiries because of the podcast. And it's because of two ways. One, I've become a trusted authority on the topic, right? That's one. They say, oh, okay, I've been listening to this podcast. Or they'll look at my podcast and go, I want one like his. Mm-hmm. And then they'll go, oh, he produces a podcast. They come to our website. So there's lots of ways to organically drive traffic and to do business. So the question kind of has two parts. Does a podcast have value? Absolutely, yes. But you have to know how to drive it. You have to know how to use it. It is a great vehicle, but you can't just sit in the driveway and watch the the listeners roll in or watch the leads roll in. Um, It's content. It's long-form content, just like a blog article or anything else. If you just publish it and don't tell anyone, if you publish it without SEO, you have to market it. And I did an article a while back um, with uh, Content Marketing Institute, um, which basically says, you know, my definition of content marketing isn't just creating the content, it's how do you market the content. And so if you have this wonderful podcast that has the potential of you being an authority, of providing uh, information into your industry, it has potential, but you have to market that podcast. And most of our clients, we tell them that up front, like, can we help you do all the right things? We're not a production company. We're not a editing company. We are a content marketing company, so we want to help you build a strategy before the podcast. Of course, we help you produce the podcast from recording and everything else. And we also help you do the ROI after the podcast because we know we can't keep a customer if they can't prove the ROI. We're marketers too. We know somebody's going to ask, why are you doing this podcast? And we want to help them show why they're doing it. For your company to succeed, customers need to find value in what you deliver. But companies and customers don't always see eye to eye on what's behind customers' perception of value. Worthix is the customer value alignment platform, helping companies like yours understand what really moves the needle for customers and your business. So you can do more of what matters and less of what doesn't. Visit worthix.com to learn more or request a demo. Discover your worth with Worthix. I can't take claim to a lot of things. I I wasn't a first mover when it came to uh, blogging, when it came to social media, but when it came to podcasting, I had a young marketer named Anthony Sledge um, who joined my team and he started pushing the idea of podcasting. And I was like, nobody, nobody's doing this. Like we're such a small team. Why would we do this? And we started, it was absolutely bootstrapped. It was crazy scrappy. Um, You know, the listeners on this show have heard this story multiple times, but when we started out, we really just kind of hacked it. And, but we had the advantage of being a first mover. We had the advantage of doing something that nobody else was doing. And that gave us a head start. But nowadays, there are so many podcasts out there of every single topic you can possibly imagine. So standing out nowadays or being able to create ripples in a saturated field is a lot harder. So would you say that, I mean, I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you anyway to get your expert opinion. Would you say that they should expect the same results as the people who started six, seven years ago. And if not, then what should be the expectation? So those who started six, seven years ago, of course, they're going to be a bit more polished in how they do it. But the biggest 
the biggest result right now from podcasting is the ability to create so much more content. Um, I would say with us, 6% of the content we put out came from podcasts, whether it be, I mean, everything from our YouTube shorts to our LinkedIn posts are results of the podcast that would not have happened otherwise. So I think from, from marketer standpoint, they should look at if you want to create a ton of content that's valuable from your experts. I mean, how else can you get experts from around your industry to create content for you? There's no other way I could imagine. I mean, you can't get them to write blog articles. You can't get your CEO to write a blog article, but you can get them to sit down for a conversation on the podcast and create tons of content for that. So, you know, podcasting is kind of the answer to a lot of questions other than is podcasting successful? You could almost call it, you know, content creation and that the podcast is just one of the outputs. Live content creation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's live content creation because our the actual podcast for us and a lot of our clients is just one of the many pieces we put out. You know, those who do video, you know, we're doing YouTube videos and shorts and Instagram and blog articles, all because of the content from the podcast. You know, you want to write a great article with expert language, get an expert on the line and have a conversation with them. You'll get much better SEO results out of an expert conversation than you will hiring a writer to fake it. So have those conversations. Your ROI isn't just on the podcast. It's on your content marketing team. How much more and better content can they create? It isn't just about the podcast itself. Now, there is a fine line between being intentional about what you want to accomplish and remaining authentic. So what do you think that line is? <laughs> well, that, that's, a, it, that's going to vary per, per person, I suppose. Um, I mean, like for my podcast, the intention was never even tied to business. It was just to have great conversations and to share that with marketers. Um, I've had conversations. And the, the reason why it works for me, too, because I only ask questions I really want to know. You know, mm -hmm. Rarely do I ask a question that I already know the answer to because I want to sound genuinely you know, interested and inquisitive. Now, often I interview other marketers who are in the same field or they have other, other, other agencies. I have my opinion, but I really want to know theirs and share that with the listeners. So that's my intent with my podcast is to give value to the listeners. Um, and, you know, it's probably a really bad business plan because it wasn't <laughs> part of the business. And I often wonder, wow, does this even tie back into the business? Um, but like I said earlier, it generates so much content. You know, it's got me speaking engagement. It's gotten us clients. Um, it's great. It's a great example, you know, of what a podcast could be because we we experiment with everything with with my own podcast. And so when something really works, now we have an, a new example without having to go to a client for it. We have an example right there. Um, but you know, yeah, I, I, I think you can be authentic and intentional all at the same time. Um, in fact, if you if you never try to be anything but authentic, then you just focus on intentional and it will be what it is. Yeah. Do you, I'm, I'm a strong believer in the idea that people follow people, they don't follow companies. And Absolutely. I would say that there's a lot of that that's the same for you. People follow Lee, they listen to Lee, they don't listen to Constant Mon Content Monster, but they, they get it later, right? Because yeah. it's the brand that you stand behind. Now, do you think that it's possible for someone to market a business and not have a figure of authority in the center and still be successful? Well, 
Of course they can. This, I, mean, this I swear, is a genuine question. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm not trying to call you out on that. Yeah, yeah, they can. I mean, historically, they've done it, but that's the thing. It's history. I don't think it's going to work that way in the future. That's why, you know, whether you're a Procter & Gamble or a Nike, you're looking for somebody's face to put out there. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if you say Tesla, boom, face pops in your head. Yep. If you say Microsoft, face, Apple, face. But if you say Procter & Gamble, I can't think of a face. No. Or Unilever, you know, Cadillac, just don't have a face. You know, yeah. Lincoln's trying, you know, maybe Matthew McConaughey or something, but it's not... <laughs> It's not that face. And so there's always been endorsements, but then it always comes down to a, a logo at the end of the commercial. Um, that's changed because businesses are realizing that people are able to create content faster than they are, more mm -hmm. authentic than they are. So they're going to have to meet these people and utilize that people power. Um, there's no better example of that in the past year or so as the the ocean spray guy. Um, I forget his first name. I think his name was Apodaca, I think it was, but you know, that was a person living his best life, enjoying yeah. his ocean spray. Mark <laughs> the marketing department could not have done that. You know, it would have gotten too too um commoditized, if that's a word. I mean, they would have said, Well, it isn't our demographic, or it looks too dangerous, or he might hit a truck. We can't endorse that. You know, what's the tattoo on his head? Blah, 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 blah. It would have never happened. But we're talking about it now a couple of years later because it was just really yeah. great for that brand. So yeah. I think if brands realize that and put more faces, I mean, I have, I did a keynote recently called be content and be content was based on, you need to be the content that others consume. Um, even if you're working within a company, you need the people to be the content, not the logos. Um, yeah. You know, when it, even as far as, you know, taking that, within that keynote, so many times I've actually turned it into a course. So if you look up be content course, you might actually find it somewhere, but, um, the, the, the point is, is that, yes, you're right. People want to see people. They want to talk to people, hear from people, trust people. There's nothing about a logo that builds trust. Uh, those days used to happen. You used to say, oh, well, that's a Ford or that's an IBM. I trust that. Not so much anymore. That generation's not the key generation buying things right now. And generations yeah. to come are more likely to buy it because it's cool. The person they know is using it. Their emotion was moved by a person, not by a logo. Yeah. I told the story the other day where a couple years ago, I bought my daughter a Fjallraven backpack. So Fjallraven is like this Scandinavian brand and it's really cool and amazing. And I thought it was awesome. And I was like, I am doing this child the biggest favor in the world, getting her this backpack. And she's like, meh, I don't like it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So literally tossed it into a corner where it lived for maybe two years. And I started using the backpack because it was so cool for me. Guess what happened? Some YouTuber that she watches has that backpack. And all of a sudden she's saying, hey, mom, can I have that Fjallraven backpack back? Yeah. So the person. Yeah, the person. It's the person. I, I clearly wasn't cool enough to, <laughs> to, to have that effect on her. But this this girl on YouTube was. And, and we do see that happening. You're right with with the up and coming generations that will be that will compose the majority of the consumer market in a couple years. And there are some brands that are paving the way and, and really leading well with that. My question is 
whether or not that becomes polluted when it reaches a large scale. Because what we see lots of times is these authentic movements that are from an amazing place and they're they're magnetic and they attract people because of how authentic they are, like Ocean's Break, right? It was Mm -hmm. the beauty about that was the authenticity of that moment. It was how real and how human it was, right? And I'm going to say that after Ocean Spray went in there and started endorsing it, I would say it lost views as opposed to gaining it. Yeah. I mean, if you're in that marketing department, you can't help but try to harness on (laughs) to that star. You know, you you have to try. Um, But the reality is it was, yeah, you're right. It probably lost some authenticity at that point, you know. Yeah. Um, They'd have been better off just putting money behind him and not even saying they were involved. Just keep pushing it. You know, they could have got in and just pushed his video and never said they were even involved. That would have worked better. And I think that's a, that's a lesson for brands to come. If you get a you know lucky viral hit, just support the person who made the content. Don't try to own it because it's going to lose its shine. Um, so so yeah, it's gonna it's a lesson to go forward. And like you say with your daughter in the backpack, um, going. I mean, even today I saw and I rarely go into what I call it says pool with Facebook, but I went there and I saw. <laughs> a debate about an upcoming the upcoming electric car wars basically there was two brands non-tesla brands that have cars coming out one person already pre-owned one person had stock in the other company and they're having this conversation so now those two brands are on my radar because people who i know are talking about it i've not seen an ad from either one of them i've not even seen the product on the road but the conversation's happening um and so that's where we're headed i mean even my kids don't trust anything but each other. They I know. only trust other kids, other peers. You know, at first I was worried about, you know, will they will they believe the things they see on the internet? Because anything can be on the internet, whether it's true or not. And they pretty much assume everything is fake, which is yeah. weird, but that's today, that's where we're at. They assume everything is fake unless somebody they trust said it. Yeah. So that's where we're headed. And marketers need to be aware of that. And do you think there is a way? to harness that authentically. Like you said, you know, maybe just just backing the person and making sure they can keep creating content. Uh, or and how how long is that going to work where it's bringing back some ROI? Like I'm imagining that um you know with the the corn kid on TikTok, <laughs> right? Like somehow they managed to get him an endorsement for I don't know, Wisconsin uh, <laughs> Commerce of Corn Chamber or something, you know? And and I think that the internet almost rallied behind him getting some sort of endorsement because that kid was so amazing. But once people start getting involved and once people start trying to profit on it, it does lose its allure. It does lose that charm and that simplicity and that authenticity. So how can we as marketers find a way to make marketing still bring us return while preserving that perhaps that innocence and that authenticity behind it. Yeah. Well, there's, there's two ways. Um, the first one is in a case like, like the ocean spray situation, I think when you have a person who just pops up and goes viral with your product, send them a virtual thank you card. Basically when I say virtual, I mean, you know, a check. <laughs> <laughs> Thank them for doing what they did for you. You know, the same way you would your ad agency or your, you know, your marketing team. If you were going to reward your marketing team for 
an amazing new campaign, send that check to the person who made that content, right? After they did it, not before. That way, you know, people have to, they'll, they'll be forced to be more authentic versus creating it just because a check's coming. They mm -hmm. do it authentically. The other thing is within your company, um, allow people within your company to create content. Uh, I know there's always a struggle between being a conservative company and controlling what they say, but at the same time, you have faces within your organization who know your product, know your service, are happy to make content. You know, right now we're, you know, Gen Z is in the workforce and even younger. So people are used to making great content, pulling their phone out and saying, hey, look at this new piece of engineering equipment. I mean, people are doing that and they're doing it authentically if they're allowed to. So companies will have to loosen the reins a little bit. Um, allow their employees to be themselves and create some content. Um, there's going to be some faux pas here and there where they're like, oh, that's kind of off brand, but it's also going to be also less authentic. So uh, I think as, as leadership uh, changes over the next few years, that'll be a little bit easier to do because leadership themselves will be creating content. They'll, they'll have, will have grown up with phones in their hands. Um, so that'll, that will definitely change. And you're going to see, Industries getting upended by other industries or other companies in the industry who are okay with that. So, yeah. you know, somebody is going, geez, I wish we had done that, or I wish we were that um, loose in our marketing and we had enough, you know, enough gall to do something that creative. And that's where we're headed. We're headed for more and more being brave, less conservative in terms of, you know, protecting the brand. You have to look out for your shareholders. I get that. But at some point, marketing has to loosen the reins. You have to loosen the reins on marketing to let them do their thing. If you've got feedback for the show, questions or ideas of what you want us to cover, or if you want to be a voice of CX yourself, we'd love to hear it. Send your feedback to contact at voicesofcx.com and tell us everything. Honest opinions, no holds barred. I have the best story to tell. As a geriatric millennial who spends way too much time on TikTok, um, there was a trend that was started by this one guy at a paint shop. And I don't know if you remember this story. This kid was creating all of these colors um, and essentially filming him putting the different dyes into the paint can and then while it was mixing, you had to guess which color was going to come out. And it was extremely therapeutic in a weird way because you'd sit there and you're like, okay, put some green in. Now you put some blue. Wait, oh my gosh, now there's yellow. What color is this? And you'd try to guess it before the color came out. And this kid was getting so many views, so many views. It was almost a game that people would do because they would stitch that content mm -hmm. and try to guess the color. The company fired him when they found out about his videos. They fired him. And guess what? Some person that had a functioning brain cell said, no, you're amazing. And what did they do? They created a, a, a brand for mm -hmm. this kid to create colors for. Yes. Yeah. So he's back on TikTok. And now instead of representing that paint shop that could have harnessed oh that, 
it's a, a new brand with someone that has the vision and 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 believed in the potential of this kid and he's there and now he's mm-hmm. he's doing it for himself because he's he has shares and he's an active participant and that content is still out there and people are still consuming it yeah, and what you described there was audience then product and that's where we're headed now yeah. we have we all have the ability to be a media company we can all reach the entire world from our cell phones right yeah. and so if you get the world's attention you can sell anything you know yeah. i mean we're talking about business here i mean like the kardashians they could come up with a you know, a toolbox of hammers and still sell them because they have the audience, right? So that kid had an audience and that business wasn't smart enough to realize we just captured a crap load of audience. Let's use it, you know? Yeah. They, they should have just said, hey, kid, this is great. Here, try some more colors. And here's yellow number 503. Try that one. And they could just kept feeding what he was doing. And, and there's Make that is, color the special of the week, right? I don't exactly, there's so much you can do. Right now we're talking about it. And no matter how much we talk about, even if we name that brand, they can't get a sale from it because we're not talking about them. Right. So I think the the lesson here is if you can create a conversation around your brand, the the business will follow. But yeah. if you miss the boat and nobody's talking about you, in fact, if you go to the executives and say, which do you want? People talking about us a lot are people not even thinking about us at all. Mm-hmm. They'd probably go for talk about us a lot. And that's that's basically what's happening here. You know, they're so afraid of the talking about us a lot being the wrong kind of a lot. They'd rather just not be talked about. That's, yeah. that's a failure right there. The follow-up question that I have to this is one that I've brought up on this podcast before, which is what happens when you get a viral hit and somebody, an influencer, or even an accidental influencer uh, promotes your brand and sales go through the roof. And an example of this, once again, a TikTok example, I'm sorry, I'm getting redundant. I know this was QP Mayo and um, a cooking influencer on TikTok made this dish with salmon mayo rice and seaweed and but the star the one thing that had a brand was this qp mayo and qp mayo i've been a a buyer of qp mayo for many many years and it sold out everywhere and i couldn't find it anywhere because there was a shortage of this brand and then qp in order to take advantage of this wave they had to increase their manufacturing and their and their um the, the the product, the amount of product that was at stores to keep up with that demand. But gradually that fades when another, you know, now TikTok is doing butter boards or whatever, and people are not consuming QP, at least people who weren't previously QP consumers maybe aren't anymore. And I'm sure that they did gain some net solid um, consumers from all of that initiative. There has to be. So ultimately it was positive. But it's not sustainable. It's not systematic. It's not predictable. So how can brands take advantage of these viral trends without it disrupting their supply chain and without it causing issues with the brand that they can no longer sustain once that trend has passed? That's a loaded question, I know. 
Yeah, well, you know, having it disrupt their their supply chain is a great problem to have. So yes, it no, is. There's no solving for that versus just ramping up and selling more stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of sustaining that, though, once you have the attention, the challenge is keeping the attention, but maybe doing things differently than you did before you didn't have the attention. Like, hmm. for example, look at Wendy's. Wendy's keeps attention on their Twitter account because, you know, it isn't just one viral hit and they go away. They're entertaining. They keep you there. You know, Wendy's and then they have, I hate to even say the pun, which is what they, they worked us into is they have beef with other, <laughs> with other vendors, you know, so then Burger King stepped their game up. Then all, then Arby's stepped their game up. Um, you have brands who, as we mentioned earlier, have loosened the reins a bit to be able to talk to newer generations of customers and they're able to sustain that. Um, and so that's what's required. I mean, I don't know what Ocean Spray's main demographic is, but I bet it's a lot older than the Capri Sun demographic or the Red Bull demographic. Maybe the same company. I don't, I don't know if it owns them all or not, but the point <laughs> is that to keep the conversation going, they need to be able to speak to the people who, who gave them all this attention. If you have an attention rush, let's say, for example, your demographic is 30 to 50. That's your demographic. And all of a sudden you're TikTok phenomena with the, you know, with TikTok, your attention should now go from 30 to 50 to whatever TikTok's demographic is and sell them something. You have their attention now shift, now allow your marketing team to speak like that demographic, not try to act like you speak like, because it won't work. You can't get your same marketing team marketing to 50 year olds correctly having the conversation with 20 year olds. So go out and hire some Gen Zers is what you're saying. Basically, <laughs> don't try to fake it. I mean, there's a few of us who, you know, who crossed a couple of generations successfully. Um, I say us, but I'm still I'm not I'm still not claiming Gen Z, but I'm I'm more of a ex millennial, you know, crossover myself. But you have to, you know, authenticity to the target audience is really hard to sniff out for being fake. So hmm. Um, if you get a viral hit from a different demographic, immediately learn how to talk to that demographic, pivot your product, maybe to the demographic. If you want to hold on to that, even it may be even spinning off a, a sub part of your product. You say, well, we don't do that. Maybe you should, maybe your shareholders would appreciate if you sold more. So maybe you should spin off that product and do a kid's version or a teenage version or, you know, 20, 30 something version of that product why you have the attention and sustain the celebrity you just gained. Yeah. And how about for us as marketers, how do we make sure that our expiry date isn't right around the corner? You it know, how do we is. make sure? Well, yeah. I mean, my <laughs> hack was to have kids and now my kids keep me cool, you know, but what, do, yeah. what, what should I do? Tell me how to be cool. No, I mean, you know, is there, right. is there something actually systematic that I can do as a professional. Because the thing about marketing is that it's it's so unique in that way where you have to keep talking to your audience. And if your audience is younger or older, you have to find some way to connect with them. You have to you have to have um, some sort of shared experiences. Because empathy doesn't come from just observing, it comes from living, right? So so how do we create these experiences with demographics that aren't our own in order to continue marketing to them diversity 
you know, huh. whether it's age, culture, whatever, you need that diversity in the room. You need to have, I was in this meeting last week, the same scenario where I had the experience and the technical expertise and the marketing expertise, but you had someone who was Gen Z who had the social media expertise. They were on the edge of everything new. Now, they didn't know what a strategy was. They didn't know how careful to be, how not careful to be. They didn't know where the client would and wouldn't go. They had no idea what ha would happen to shareholders if they had a faux pas. They didn't know any of those things. They were totally green, but they were just as valuable to the conversation as mm -hmm. my experience was. And so to have that balance of them tugging, let's do this far out thing that will probably ruin the company <laughs> to <laughs> experience going, I hear what you're saying. Let's do it this way with your idea, but let's tweak this so we don't burn down the building. So having both of those people, those experiences in the room at the same time will always help you push the edge um, because at some point, you know, your brain gets full of information and, and experience and you don't want, you don't want to learn as much more. You know, I mean, I'm in that place now where I'm like, whew, not another platform. You know, I, I think- <laughs> I, I can't TikTok, be real. I can't do it. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking maybe TikTok is my last one to, yeah. to learn. You know, I mean, I was on TikTok when it was musically. Uh, yeah. I was an early adopter then, you know, Snapchat, you know, but at some point I'm going to be the old guy that goes, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm done. Mm. I'm, you know, there's always more platforms, but hopefully when I get to that point, there'll be somebody else in the room who is just getting involved and who is happy to learn, learn the next thing. And we can combine our expertise between my experience and their, you know, their wildness with the next new thing. That's where the combination comes in to help us be better marketing teams. Yeah. And I mean, we always will have the opportunity of marketing to our own demographic. That's exactly. also a possibility. Like you That's can sell to me and I can sell to you because we're the same generation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we know what our pains are from a business standpoint to an adulthood standpoint. We know all those things. Yep. Um, and that's, you know, that's when it's easier to market when it's your own demographic. I mean, yeah. that's kind of what content monster, I think where we thrive is because I'm marketing to the job I had for the past 15 years. I, yep. mean, I know exactly what marketing teams need. Cause I've been the marketing team from a team of one to a team of 10. What do we need? What are our pains? And so I'm like, let me solve all the problems I had for the past 10 years. Yeah. And then that'll work out for, you know, us finding new clients. That's awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time to come on and, and share your point of view and your vision on all of this. I think that it was it was great for me as a marketer to be able to listen and and take away with me um, so much of your point of view. And for our listeners at home, if they, like me, learned a lot and they want to learn more, how do they find you? How do they contact you? Okay. Well, the easiest way is aleejudge.com. Uh, please call me Lee, but the A is actually a marketing ploy because my first mm -hmm. name is Alexander and I can own the first page of Google with A Lee Judge rather than Lee Judge. <laughs> and so uh, my professional name and my website is aleejudge.com. You can put the dot or not. It still works. Uh, aleejudge.com. And then, of course, the company is contentmonster, M-O-N-S-T-A.com. Either one of those places you'll find me, find my podcast. It's called The Business of Marketing. Uh, never mind the one that Adweek did later on. It isn't working as well as mine. <laughs> they stole my name, but that's the world of podcasting. Uh, yeah, the podcast is called The Business of Marketing, and you can find me on my, both, both my websites. Well, thank you so much. It was great having you. And to our listeners and viewers who joined us once again, thank you. 
for joining us and for listening and for sticking with us through all these 10 seasons. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Voices of CX podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Worthix. Discover your worth with the customer value alignment platform. We're helping the world's biggest brands align with their true customer value. Learn more at worthix.com. Episodes are produced and edited by myself, Steve Barry, and Ashley Alufahai. See you on the next episode.